Welcome into this edition of the Golf Central Podcast presented by Callaway Golf. I'm Lav, soon to be joined by Rex, and the player impact program results are in. We'll break down not the top 10 or the top 20, but folks, the top 23. There's a whole lot going on and a whole lot to get into. Plus, Augusta National appears to have finally increased the length on the par 5 13th hole. A good move, a bad move. We will certainly weigh in. And Roy McIlroy and John Rahm walk away from Dubai as the big winners. We'll analyze their seasons. But first, the Chrome Soft golf balls from Callaway are better for the best and better for everyone. This family is available in Chrome Soft, Chrome Soft X, and Chrome Soft XLS. Each of these golf ball offerings incorporates the company's proprietary precision technology for the tightest dispersions, consistently fast ball speeds, and total performance, and of course, they deliver the soft, responsive feel and control that players love around the green. These balls are available now. You can head over to CallawayGolf.com to see which Chrome Soft is right for you. Folks, we were supposed to be doing this a video stream. We're having some issues with the backgrounds. This, unfortunately, is just an audio production, which is too bad because you can see the bloodshot eyes on Rex and the bags under his eyes, uh, the, the skin that's looking a little bit greener than usual uh, because, folks, he is in New Orleans uh, for a week. Rex, how are, how are things in New Orleans with the Sazeracs? Uh, you know, the trick to the Sazerac is you can only drink one. Like, it, it, it's either the primer to the evening or the closeout to the evening. You need to decide which one of those things it's going to be. And the mistake that I made yesterday is, as you pointed out, I'm here for the entire week. My wife's family lives here. We it, Normally come here during Thanksgiving to spend Thanksgiving with her family. It's a huge family. There'll be 300 people at the meal on Thursday. We haven't done this. Is that a joke? Is that, is that an exaggeration? No, no. It's actually, it'll probably be more than 300, uh, if I'm being honest. I, I felt like 300 was, sounded like hyperbole, but it, uh, it, there are tons and tons of people in this family. They all get together. They serve unbelievable food. However, and we've missed it the last uh, couple of years because of COVID, and this is our first year back. And I feel like because of that, there was no filter. You know what I mean? Like, if you're coming back every year, usually you're kind of like, ah, you know, let's don't go too crazy. Let's don't go too over the what, top. What, do you have some COVID we truthers? Went, What's going on? Uh, well, no, we couldn't do it, obviously, the last, uh, well, the year before last, because uh, there, w- there was none. And then last year, I, I, I don't know. I mean, I think everyone just felt, maybe they just didn't feel comfortable. I don't know. I was fine. I was very, very happy. I don't want to air the dirty laundry of the Hoggard family right now. I kind of got to liking thanksgiving at home i kind of like the idea of just staying in my own house and cooking my own food so uh which is a very unpopular opinion on this side so please anyone who hears this don't tell anyone in the delahousie family because that'll get me in trouble how do you even cook for 300 people uh it's, it's a tag team deal it's it's a it's a village deal i mean everyone you know brings something you know you know you, everyone brings a, a turkey everyone brings a side and and I will say, like, it's delicious. It's, it, it's the normal stuff. It's, it's turkey and dressing and, and everything. But then it's, you know, crawfish pie and oyster dressing. And there, there are the New Orleans sort of shades to it. So it's absolutely delicious. And it's great to see folks. But, again, three days. I've been in, I, I bet now I've been in the French Quarter for three days. That's, that's a day and a half too long. Cooking, cooking for 300 people, all of them amateurs, uh, is just a recipe for food poisoning. That uh, is that's not that true. You want to get pro- professionally catered? Uh, no, no, that's not true. They're not all amateurs. Quite a few of them do work in the industry, in the food and entertainment industry. One of them is a world-renowned chef, so there are plenty of experts to sh- to point and, and tell everyone what to do. But not all of them. <laughs> but not, <laughs> not all of them. Not all of them are experts. 
That's true. And everyone's going to be digging their grimy little paws uh, into some of your cranberry sauce. I do enjoy the fact that you have blurred out the background uh, to shade out whatever sort of debauchery uh, is going on uh, behind you. I think that's a very classy touch. Meanwhile, I am in basically the loft of my in-laws' place uh, at Reynolds Lake Coney, my favorite, my favorite place on earth. Uh, yeah, it, pr- it probably is nap time uh, downstairs. We were certainly on borrowed time uh, before we get into uh, any other activities that we have planned for this Thanksgiving week. We'll certainly rec- uh, be talking about exactly what is going to be on the menu a little bit later. But first, the Player Impact Program, better known as the PIP, results were released on Tuesday by the PGA Tour. And because this is an audio medium, I will read out, Rex, the top 10 very, very slowly uh, for folks so they can really absorb this if they have not been following along on the website. So uh, Tiger and Rory, we already knew that. One, two, that had been uh, reported by AP's Doug Ferguson just a couple of weeks ago. But three through 10 are this in order. Jordan Spieth, Justin Thomas, John Rahm, Scotty Scheffler, Xander Schauffele, Matt Fitzpatrick, Will Zalatoris, and Tony Fino. Now, I believe it was on last week's podcast, maybe it was two weeks ago, they all seemed to blur together this time of year. We, we kind of uh, debated, predicted, guessed what that top 10 would look like. Not a ton of surprises. Like, we've kind of figured uh, Tony Fino, uh, based on the year that he had, back-to-back wins, social media profile that he carries, uh, would crack the top 10 for the first time. Uh, there he is. At number 10, we all thought that it'd be Spieth and Thomas in the 3-4 slot. Uh, by the way, Tiger, Rory, Spieth, and JT are playing in the match uh, December 10th. That's 1-4 through four in the PIP standings. Uh, that's very well done uh, by the PGA Tour. Rom, not a huge surprise. He was the top 10 in the PIP in 2021 and carries it again. I guess we were both kind of curious where Scotty Scheffler would fall, right? Because... He obviously had an incredible breakout season, Masters champion, uh, nearly won the FedEx Cup, four wins in a six-week uh, span. However, he has basically a non-existent social media profile. He ranked 57th in something called the MVP index. That was by far the worst of any player who got this uh, payout from the PGA Tour. Just looking at the top 10, we'll get to 11 through I guess essentially 23 uh, later. What were your impressions of the final standings? Before I get to that, can you just do the like the 11 through 20 as well? Because it's almost it was almost zen like the way you're reading those names off. It was very Colin Morikawa. Shane <laughs> Colin Morikawa has once again occupied the 11th spot. Shane Lowry Kevin <clears throat> somehow uh, is number 12. Kevin Kisner at number 13. <laughs> Max Homa. <laughs> Checking in at number 14, Billy Ho, 15, Ricky, 16, Adam Scott, 17, Jason Day, 18, Patrick Cantley, after getting shut out in 2021, checks in at number 19, just barely squeaking through, and Victor Hovland was number 20. Now, the PGA Tour also released three players, right, who would have qualified under the new criteria that's going to be going forward for the 2023 list, and Hideki Matsuyama, Cameron Young, and Sam Burns now receive a $2 million payout. So that's a lot of names. I hope you have this list pulled up in front of you because I'm going to ask your grand takeaways, and I don't want you to, to once again, um, kind of obfuscate. Uh, I wasn't. No, I just enjoyed the moment of Zen. <clears throat> Excuse me. I enjoyed the moment of Zen of you just reading names right off the top. Um, I, I think we can all look at this list and all agree that whatever 
order, I mean, these are the top players in the game, and we can sit and probably parse every single one of them, except for one. I mean, we're not going to do this to Tiger Woods. But that's exactly what I'm going to do because I, I understand that the new list, and I guess my problem stems from the idea that nobody outside of Ponte Vedra Beach knows exactly how this list is compiled. There is no formula that we can look at and do the math and carry the one and say, oh, yes, that makes Tiger Woods the top player on this list. And again, I'll go back to, I think we've said this multiple times, and I'm not, I'm not going to be the fool that falls down this mine shaft. Tiger Woods should be number one from here until the end of time because of what he's brought to the game. I guess and at least, he played nine, at least he played nine tournament rounds this year as opposed to last year. Uh, nine tournament rounds of largely awful or varying shades of bad golf. All right, so I, I see what you're saying. He made the cut at the first two majors. Which, which is fine, and then he had to withdraw from one major. I just, don't, I, I just don't see how this list, and again, my problem is a lack of transparency, not a problem. It's not a Tiger Woods at the top of the list problem. It's I don't know how this list is compiled, and there's a lot of things that go into this, not only an enormous amount of money, as we can sit here and sort of add up all of the payouts these players are going to get, but it also kind of defines what these elevated events are going to look like going forward. If you're in the top 20, You've got to play in the elevated events, and I think you get one freebie, and then you've got to add three outside the elevated events, but this is going to be the definition of who is important to the game of golf, however you want to slice it. Now, it's not a qualification criteria, but it is what the PGA Tour has decided to earmark and say, okay, these are the players that are going to drive us going forward, and you're going to see more and more of this going forward. Uh, They're going to find more and more ways to funnel money. To these players because this is all about answering live golf and making sure that we don't want to call it guaranteed money but it's going to be guaranteed money so i would like to see a little bit more transparency because i would point to tiger woods right at the top of the list and and beg anyone to explain to me just show me the numbers just show me the facts show me the math and how the spreadsheets played out and then i'll be like oh yeah he deserves it now this is no disrespect to him again we can all agree that he deserves whatever it is he gets but in this particular case i feel like there is a hole in this system that the tour is going to have to fix sooner or later and look the the criteria for the the first two years it was it was pretty vague it was pretty confusing there was a lot of things like meltwater mentions and the mvp index there was i think as golf fans were having a hard time like deciphering whether this was just a social media award. And I think the tour itself uh, had a little bit of frustration, like how their, how their systems were processing. Is it, was it a good tweet? Was it a bad tweet? Was it a good Instagram post? Like how much engagement is enough engagement to actually move the needle? So all of that is a little bit nebulous. And I, I'm, I'm glad they're transitioning to this different criteria uh, for measuring in 2023. Actually, the system's already uh, started. It started. Uh, back use it. Yeah. in in October, and so there's something called the mark, and for golf fans and also general population. So moving forward, I'm going to think of the PIP list as basically do golf fans know who you are type list, as opposed to this sort of weird social media form uh, formulation where you know we're we're trying to understand engagement and interactions when a lot of these guys don't even uh, produce their own. Uh, social media. So when you look at this list, Rex, and it, and it does break it down by Google, Meltwater Mentions, Nielsen Ratings, Q Score, and the MVP index. The, the one that stands out to me uh, is is Matt Fitzpatrick in, at, at the number eight spot. Like that's that's a, a pretty significant spot for him. I mean, it comes with a, a pretty sizable payout 
of five million dollars. Now, when you look at Matt Fitzpatrick's 2022, obviously it's going to be remembered for his U.S. Open win at Brookline. But does Matt Fitzpatrick really have the same Q score? So that's in terms of favorability to the general public as a John Rahm or a Xander Schauffele or a Tony Finau, because that's exactly how he came in. He wasn't particularly outstanding in any category. In fact, his best category was Google, where he finished ninth uh, in the Google standings among the players who were represented here. Do you think that was a who is Matt Fitzpatrick when he was yes. was winning at Brookline? Or do, you think, yes. or do you think Matt Fitzpatrick actually is the eighth biggest needle mover on the PJ Tour? That one certainly stood out to me. Well, the Google thing is interesting, right? Because at some point, are people going online, going to Google to see, okay, let's go, what's going on in Matt Fitzpatrick's life? Or is it, hmm, who in the world is Matt Fitzpatrick? I mean, it could go either way, right? And something tells me around the U.S. Open, it was very, very similar. And I agree with you. The comparison there is Tony Finau, who is two spots, squarely two spots behind Matt Fitzpatrick. And I would argue, I mean, I picked Tony just on his play to be the player of the year next year. And I think what we've already seen from him in the fall indicates – the way he is trending in that direction. And we have seen him, I think it was after his 3M victory earlier this summer when he had that moment where his family meets him at the airport and, and there was a little parade and he's dancing. I can only imagine how that impacted Tony's score. And yet I was a little curious that he would end up at 10 because, okay, he did not have Scotty Scheffler's season by far. But if you were to compare sort of athletes on whatever the level is we're trying to sort of measure here, right? Popularity, importance, um, uh, uh, if you can, if they're recognizable, all of these things. I would say that Tony blows pretty much everybody in front of him out of the water all the way up till and not including John Rahm. So I, this goes back to my idea that they can break it down and say, okay, this is what his score was, but I still don't have a very good understanding on exactly how we came to that score, which is always going to be sort of the flaw in this. Because you're right. I mean, Matt Fitzpatrick had a wonderful season, and I think he's an absolutely – let's be clear about this. this. We're not passing judgment on these people as players. They're all very, very world-class players, and they've won major championships and FedEx Cups and everything else. What we're talking about here is popularity, and I have a hard time understanding how a Matt Fitzpatrick is more popular – across the general consensus than Tony Finau. I, I'm with you. I think I would have slotted Rom or excuse me, uh, Tony Finau probably in like that seventh or eighth spot. Like I think you have to give Scotty his due. For the amount of TV time he had and he finished number one uh, in the Nielsen ratings. Mm-hmm. He he deserved uh, to get that sixth spot. But I mean Tony Finau he's a he's a distinct look. Um, he's he's a I would call him a media favorite. He's he, he does a lot of press conferences uh, he doesn't say much. He's, he's not very he's, controversial. Like I mean, that's clear. He's not. But you know who who is on that list besides Rory and and maybe JT, Billy. Um, I mean, don't forget yeah, Billy. Billy, yeah, Billy Horschel. Yeah. I, I mean, I I kind of get it. But he does like the Fino fresh like walk up things. Like he's he's I, he's actually one of the few players who actually does his own social media, and that should be rewarded. You look at the guys in the top ten of the list. Tiger does not do his own social media. Rory has sworn off of Twitter. Jordan Spieth does not do his own uh, Twitter. JT uh, does handle uh, all of his social media. And what do you, what do you know? Uh, he was number two in the MVP index. John Rahm does not. Scotty Scheffler doesn't have Twitter. Xander Shoffley doesn't have Twitter. Matt Fitzpatrick uh, does have Twitter. Not sure if he's active enough to post. Will Zalatoris doesn't uh, post hardly at all. And then there's Finau at number Very active. 10. 
yeah, very active. So it was a little bit uh, surprising, I think, for that inside the top 10. Once you get to 11 through 20, and we're not talking about chump change here, folks. I mean, 11 through 20, Kyle Morikawa got $3 million uh, for finishing 11th on this list once again, and it goes all the way down to Victor Hovland at $2 million. This is not chump change for these guys. It's still a significant portion. you got to tell me, Rex, how are Shane Lowry and Kevin Kisner on this list? I understand Ricky. I understand Adam Scott. I understand Jason Day, even though he really hasn't been all that relevant for about four or five years. Do you? You got, I don't. You, have, you don't understand how Jason Day gets on there? I don't, because I mean, you just kind of went down the list. Former, Jason former Day. world number one, Jason Day is number five in Q score. That means it's, he has a very high favorability rating compared to his peers. I, I, I understand that. Family guy, world number one. I mean, I don't undis- because he hasn't done anything competitively this year. He he doesn't, as you pointed out, he doesn't. He isn't active at all on social media, and w- so he's essentially just banking on his past. He's in commercials. Guess- he's in oh, still in feature groups. Yeah, he's still in feature groups. Well, I mean, that's the problem. I mean, I'm going to go back to feature groups being uh, another problem in this because that's self perpetuating because that's the tour deciding who's in the feature groups. So at some point, doesn't this just become, okay, if you end up on the, on this list, the top 20, isn't this kind of like the college football playoffs deal, that that's it, it's pretty much locked in, that you're never going to p- play your way out because of the way the system's rigged? The tour's going to have to put a lot of thought in this. It just can't be, oh, okay, we've, we've got all these elevated events now. Let's just cycle through with, with Rory and JT and Spieth and call it a day. Like They're going to have to spread the wealth a little bit. So I'm curious to see you know, kind of inside baseball and us who – are sitting with these players inside the media tent, whether there is a greater diversity uh, among their selections uh, in the early quarter of 2023. I think that'll be very interesting to watch. Well, and this goes to like Max Homa at 14, and I guess you can make an argument. Again, you can parse this list however you want, but I would argue that competitively he had a really good year. I mean, for Max Best Homa, year of his life. Best year of his yeah. career. And I don't think anyone's going to debate that of the 20 players on that list, no one does social media better than Max does. Whatever that is, that, that sort of that zing, that sort of magical touch that you have with your thumbs when you start typing in the, those tweets, he has it. And yet somehow he ends up at 14. So, I, I, again, I'm going to go back to the idea that I did, just don't understand how, what we're trying to gauge here. I don't understand what we're trying to reward because at 14, it's good. It's very, very good. It's $3 million good, and it's certainly going to put him in that category where he is going to be in those future groups, and he is going to be in the elevated events. And going forward, he will probably move his way up. But, man, he had just had the best competitive year of his career, and name me someone on that list that's better at Twitter than him. And now moving forward, Rex, in 2023, would you have less of an importance of social media and more of this general population awareness? Like, he's actually going to struggle with these new metrics. He didn't place in 2021, which I think was a, a surprise to some of us. Who, we were still kind of learning the criteria, and now we're, we're kind of shifting away from this being uh, more of a social media award into more of a, do guys know who you are? He's going to he's going to hurt uh, when it comes to that, and it's probably going to reward, you know, the, the JTs and the Spees and the Roms and the Scotties of the world. Because you look at Max Homa, his Q score, his – his favorability rating is 35. It's the exact same as Patrick Cantley, who uh, is not the warmest and cuddliest figure. That was <laughs> the worst uh, Q score of anyone inside the top 19. Victor Hovland was was 43. I think people just probably generally are not aware of Victor Hovland unless you're a hardcore 
golf fan, which is a shame. And I, that's that's probably it's probably an indictment of us. Like we need to do a better job too of telling these guys' stories uh, to a national audience. So I, I wonder if this will even be a wake up call to to some folks like that. Now, does Victor Hovland, does Patrick Cantley, Cantley does Max Clint, Clint doesn't care? care. Yeah, do yeah. they do they care about having their story told? Probably not. They just want to win golf tournaments. And Victor Hovland, I would put in that category too. But if if for some reason they actually care about this, if if they're if they feel slighted uh, that they only got two million dollars of this one hundred million dollar pot, um, then maybe we'll see some changed behaviors when it comes to media interactions as well. You know what was interesting, and uh, here's the problem. Keep with, it with down, Delahousies. No, no, no. I'm actually in the lobby of the Wyndham, which is right down in the French Quarter, so it's going to get lively here in a little while. Thankfully, we are an hour behind you because the vampires haven't seemed to have woken up yet. Uh, here's the problem, and, and I had a bunch of interesting conversations last week at the RSM Classic about this. With the way – wherever it is Twitter is going, I was amazed how many players told me that they're not going to miss it. Like, get rid of my blue check mark, Get rid of all of it. Like, whatever it is Elon Musk is going oh, to do. Oh, I would hate to be an athlete. I would hate to be an athlete on social media. No one's no one's telling you a great job. They're just ripping you because you you, you cost them a hundred dollars by shooting a seventy four. Yeah, and again, I'll go back to the exception is Max Homa, right? I mean, that's the guy that has figured out a way to engage with the fans and sort of dismiss or, or sort of shrug off the, that negative that that oh you cost me twenty dollars idea and just make fun of it and have a good time with it. So I, I don't know. You're right. It's good that they're getting rid of that aspect of it. But I don't know that they can completely turn a blind eye to it entirely because whether if we like it or not, it is a part of certainly what you and I do. Like I, I wish I could get off social media. You, you know that better than anyone, and yet it's part of our jobs, and it's what we have to What's do. What's that supposed to be? Is that supposed to be a reference to when I almost got fired because of a tweet? Uh, one tweet? I think we could have said that was multiple tweets. Could we not? Do you want to, do you want to dive into this one or no? It's too close? Is it still too soon? That's why I don't tweet anymore. Although now with a three-year contract, uh, I should absolutely just be letting Ooh, it rip. Uh, I did want to uh, mention contract. Rex. Uh, <laughs> did want to mention Rex with the new uh, criteria. Cameron Young uh, would have placed fifteenth. Sam Burns would have been twentieth, and Hideki Matsuyama finally. The dude is a global superstar. He still would not have cracked a top ten. He was eleventh in this, but he, he uh, has very favorable uh, scores in this golf. This Mark Golf fans. Uh, awareness, uh, whatever that means. Moving on, if you want more uh, information on that, make sure to go to golfchannel.com. They have the whole written list. You don't have to just listen to me read out names and try to figure out where, where they are placing. Okay. Now, uh, Eureka Earth, which is an outstanding job uh, on Twitter, speaking of which, I would give them very high uh, favorability rankings and in the MVP index for Eureka Earth. It certainly looks, Rex, like the 11th hole at Augusta National has finally officially been lengthened now. Augusta National did not confirm the change, nor did they say what the scorecard yardage would be. If you were just looking at mere uh, the plot of land, I think it's reasonable to say this is 25 or 30 yards longer. Now, keep in mind, we're probably looking at 540-ish, right? 545, somewhere in that range. Now that it appears it officially happened, Rex, what is your takeaway? Good move or a bad move for Augusta National to do this for the Masters? Oh, I think they get it right more times than not. I mean, certainly we'll have to get there and wait for it to play out a little bit. This is one of those scenarios where you kind of want to see what they do. You'd, you'd like to think that they – I mean, 
It's such an iconic hole. There's so many times over the history of this event that something special. I mean, just immediately when you mentioned 13, your mind, or my mind, goes to Phil Mickelson hitting between the trees off the pine straw and having the debate with his caddy at the time, Bones Mackay. And there's so many of those moments, certainly the way Bubba Watson play, played that hole. And so you would hate for them to actually, absolutely just take it out of their hands and just demand that this is going to be a three-shot hole. There's nothing you can do about it. No one hits it far enough. I, I talked to two players last week at Sea Island who, who had been up to Augusta National and played the hole. 41 yards is what I was told have, have been tacked on to whatever the original. Look at a 550. Yes. So if it's 41 yards, and by and large, both players told me that there is no way to take it over the trees on the left, to do essentially the Bubba Watson thing. I mean, you can get it around the corner. I mean, but that's going to create, that's going to demand that you hit a golf shot. That's a late draw. That is a late draw. That is a late draw. The, the, the pine straw on the right that we just talked about that Phil was hitting out of is still very much in play, but that's why I think, again, I'll go back to, they get it right more times than not. They get it right. Almost always. They get it right on almost everything except for the chicken sandwich in the media center, but that's an entirely different conversation. In this particular case, they still want it to be a two-shot hole if you have the ability to hit that particular shot. Now, not everyone can, and certainly when we talk about Augusta National and, and everyone says, well, you have to cut the ball. Well, no, you don't. Like You've got to hook that one. I mean, you, you've got to be able to absolutely get that one around the corner. Certainly number 10 is another example of you've got to be able to move that one with, as you said, a late draw. It's They're demanding you hit a golf shot and you would be rewarded. I, I'm, I'm fine with it because they're the only place on the planet, I think we can all agree, that has the ability to keep up with modern technology and to the degree that they're going to do this and then they're going to dare players to hit it further now and we'll move it back another 41 yards. Like, there is no end to this. We'll keep, head, we'll keep moving it back until we hit South Carolina. And I think that's the beauty of Augusta National. And look, just keep in mind, just because they have this option doesn't mean they need to play it all four days during the tournament. They could mix and match. Uh, so I don't think it'll necessarily be a four-round uh, event change. I, I, I do like it, Rex. Uh, I'm not at all worried that it's going to reduce the difficulty or kind of reduce the, uh, the magic of that hole. You look at the stats from the 2022 Masters, there are only three Eagles. Uh, I think a lot of this was weather dependent. It was much cooler. It was much windier. Uh, I don't think you had as many guys taking on the challenge and you certainly had a little bit more layup. And, and look, having, having, Played the Monday after this year. It's, it's not a humble brag. I'm literally I'm trying to make a point here. Oh, hold on. I think you. Let me I th- pick that up. You dropped that right there on the floor. Let me get that for you. Hold on. There it is. There. I think, I th- I think I think it's easy to forget just how sloped that right side is. And so if you have, I think what Augusta National would want is a player to have either a hybrid or a five wood or like a four iron off of that lie to that sloping green. That that's the scenario that they want to get. And so if it's if it's 530 that gets in there, if it's 550 that gets in there, that's the magic shot because that's a shot that's so difficult with the ball that far above your feet. Um, obviously, the magnitude of the moment, the hazard short, um, the playing a, a long club off of that lie, that's kind of the sweet spot that they want to get. That's the quote-unquote momentous decision uh, that used to be uh, so evident in the Masters that it's kind of been reduced. I didn't like the fact that we were seeing, you know, three woods off the tee, or we even saw some irons. Um, I, I, I want to see guys hit driver. I want to see them perfectly positioned, it, basically just short of the pine straw, or if they can somehow summon a very late draw. I think it's 
I think it's a good move. I think obviously we need to see how it plays out Late in 2023. Draw. And a lot of this is, is whether to pay. Well, you think about it, right? So if you hit a draw and it starts turning over for Michael left if you're a right-hander in like the middle of that shot, the shoot is so long now that you're going to end up in the creek left. You're not going to be able to hit your typical draw, your draw because it's, you're going to wind up in the creek left. Like you, you, you can't, no, you can't and, put just, you can't put like a ninety degree turn on your, on your drive, and you can't start it far enough right. I mean, that, that's the part. To your point, I mean, there's only so much room right because you're now you're even further back in that shoot, forty one yards further back to be precise. So yeah, you're absolutely right. Like it's going to, it's, it's a much more demanding golf shot. But I think you're right. I mean, I think in the grand scheme of things, they're going to tinker with it until they reach a happy point, which is probably two or three eagles a week. And a scoring average that's, I don't know, maybe a quarter stroke below par seems to be about the happy spot for them. I mean, it was, six, they... it was, it was 4.69 this past year. Yeah. It was tied for the 16th uh, easiest hole. The par 5 eighth, if you're wondering, was the easiest hole at Augusta National last year. And, and look, this goes back to the idea that no one has figured it out better than Augusta National how to sort of set the narrative over the course of the week, right? Like they let Thursday and Friday play out. And we all know that Saturday they're going to set it up a little bit harder. Depends are going to be in a little bit more inaccessible positions. You're probably playing the holes a little bit longer. And then they give them the green light on Sunday because they know the green light is going to bring the roars and it's going to echo through the pines. And that's how you make a special Sunday. Like they have figured out the secret sauce. And, and I don't think they're going to get away from that secret sauce with this. Uh, I don't either. Uh, it'll certainly be one of the uh, leading stories heading into the week, certainly week of getting player reaction as they're seeing these changes potentially uh, for the first time. It'll be, it'll be a fine story, and I probably don't think we'll talk about it once again once the balls are finally in the air. Rex, uh, this was last week essentially the final week of the golf season. Of course, we've got the Hero World Challenge Next week in the Bahamas, you will be there. I will not after my trip got canceled. Uh, secondly, you have the match with you. Tiger, Rory, JT, and Spieth. And then you have the PNC Championship. We're all expecting Tiger and Sun Charlie to once again compete there. So three straight weeks of TW will always be a good thing for all intents and purposes. However, this was the last week of super competitive golf. You had the LPGA finale. You had the final PGA Tour event of the year at the RSM Classic, won by Adam Svensson, where you were. And of course... Uh, in Dubai, you had the DP World Tour season finale. John Rahm won the tournament. Roy McIlroy won the race to Dubai. And so he became the first player, Rex. Roy did, uh, becoming the PGA Tour number one, the European Tour number one, while also being world number one. What was your reaction from the comings and goings in Dubai? Yeah, I think it's interesting in this particular case because Rory knew exactly what he had to do. I'm sure he wanted to win. Like, let, let's don't be, you know, I mean, he's the competitive spirit. But it's amazing how much he's a, he was aware of the history of becoming the first player since Henrik Stenson, becoming just a second player to ever win the points list on both sides of the Atlantic and put sort of put that in context. And I, I, he could have won. Certainly he had the opportunity to win. But I don't know, watching it, and again, I was at the RSM Classic, so I was a little little distracted but watching it seemed like the only thing he wanted to do was make sure that ryan fox and anyone else who was behind him that had a chance i guess matt fitzpatrick was his most likely competitor mm -hmm. in that case who had a chance to beat him he stayed ahead of them which is interesting it's almost you know that's that the, the game of chess inside the game of chess in this particular case you and i had this conversation and this is sort of kind of boring inside baseball but i did think it's interesting so the pga tour has their pga tour player of the year which scotty scheffler won I think we can all agree it should have gone to Scotty Scheffler. 
the Golf Writers Association of America has their male athlete of the year, or male, male player of the year. And you and I had a very extended conversation over the weekend saying that you can make a really good argument that Rory should win that award over Scotty. And certainly the, the longer conversation was Cameron Smith. Those would be probably the three nominees on that list because of the full body of work. What Scotty did in the spring was phenomenal. And he certainly deserved to be the PGA Tour Player of the Year. But if you look at Rory's body of work, I mean, top tens in all four major championships, as you pointed out, the first player ever to win both points list at, while being world number one. His consistency, that where he did win at the Canadian Open and the other places that he won, I, I just think it's a very easy vote in my mind. And I'm probably going to be wrong, but I just feel like that, that's a very straightforward vote. Well, I don't know if it's straightforward. I think actually Cameron Smith deserves – a lot of love as well. Didn't just win the Open Championship. He won the Players' Championship, the strongest field uh, in golf as well before eventually defecting to live golf. So I think now Cameron Smith is going to get a lot of votes uh, from the golf media. Probably not. Uh, Cameron Smith uh, was deceptive uh, in a lot of uh, in, a, in a lot of ways um, and was, was certainly of dodging questions, which will not sit well with the golf media. I think you and I are both of the opinion that he had a fantastic year, but he would probably not uh, generate enough votes to win. Scotty Scheffler is certainly interesting four wins, but that came in a span of six starts has not won since uh, the masters in April. He obviously had a chance to win at the U S open, had a chance to win the tour championship and the FedEx cup. I did not get it done there. And then was very quiet uh, outside of a runner up finish at Mayakoba this fall, as well as the president's cup. Where he did not play particularly well. So yeah, Roy McIlroy, has my vote. Top tens in all four majors, uh, a number of wins, getting season-long titles on both the European Tour and the PGA Tour. And look, he was the, the tour leader in strokes gained uh, over the past season. In other words, he played the best golf of anyone. Now, did he have the results that he wanted in some of the big events? No. But top tens in all four majors was nothing to scoff at well, and it is scoff at as well. And so I think that's where I, I wanted to go with this larger conversation, Rex. So we heard both Rory and John Rahm say on Sunday, trying to trying to put a bow on their season. Rahm was certainly a little bit more forceful. He said, uh, following his win, which was his third different win on uh, three different continents this year, he said, hopefully people can now stop telling me that I had a bad year. Rory said after the majors, uh, he kind of had to refocus. He set his sights on winning the FedEx Cup. He was able to do that after he won the FedEx Cup. He once again shifted his priorities uh, in order to try and win the European number one title as well, and he was able to do that. He said trying to do these little things differently, trying to achieve something new each and every year, that's what keeps me going. Now, I think the golf media in particular, golf fans in general, tend to fall victim to, if you don't win a major, it cannot be considered a great year. I think that's kind of the Tiger Woods rule uh, that we had for 15 years, whether or not it won a major, is it an A year, or is it merely a B year? Do you think we unfairly judge these guys who, just looking at their overall body work, had great years, but because they walk away majorless, it, it leaves something wanting? Oh, without a doubt. I mean, if the standard is always going to be Tiger Woods, and look, Tiger Woods for two decades made it very, very clear that the only thing that mattered were the major championships, especially when it came to sort of these judging an overall season. Yes, and it, it's just not fair. Like we, I mean, at the end of, of Rory's career, 
is he going to do the math and add up? And let's say he's only got X amount of majors. Let's say at that point he's got five or six majors, whatever the case may be, and be disappointed. Uh, maybe, but I think if you look at the body of work, it's impossible not to look at, at both. Scotty Scheffler, certainly with the, the Masters win, but Rory, I guess the part with John Rahm that gets me on this is I'm not quite sure who's, who was telling him that he had a bad year. It, maybe he needs to get off social media. But the, I, I, I mean, he, also, had, he, had won, he had one PGA Tour win, and it was the Mexico Open, which is not a strong field. If you look at the major championships, he only had an opportunity to win one of them. That was the U.S. Open. He shot 74 on the final day and didn't even finish inside the top 10. The other three majors didn't finish inside the top 25. If you look at that, it was a disappointing year on the PGA Tour for John Rahm. But you look at his overall body work, now it looks a whole lot better. Win at the home open and then the win at the DB World Tour sees the enter. I could see why he would be a little bit sensitive to that criticism. Uh, but I don't think anyone's uh, certainly Stop I, I fondling your mic. I can hear it. Uh, I don't think anyone uh, certainly I wasn't I, I'm, I'm not going to stand up and say, oh, OK, well, he's washed or, or you know, he, he had a slump year, whatever the case may be. He's he washed. <laughs> he's he's washed. washed. <laughs> no, I, I'm not going to do that. But as you pointed out correctly, field strength at Mexico Open probably wasn't that strong field strength. In Spain, where he won, probably wasn't that strong. And we can sit here and do the laughable thing again about last week's uh, DB World Tour Championship. However, I think the numbers speak for themselves. I mean, I, I know he thinks it's laughable. He doubled down on Sunday after he won and said how much of a – I think the word he used on Sunday was joke. And I know that this is going to be a larger conversation, but the, your three wins, you had three wins, which by any definition as a professional golfer are very, very good, but not the strongest of three wins. And I would also argue that when you kind of looked at – he is now fifth in the world. I, I just don't I, I don't see where he's coming from that he thinks that this is a successful season. I mean, if he feels like this is a successful season, then I, I guess that's on him. But for a player of his caliber, yeah, I would have had higher expectations than not just three wins. That's not the number. It's the, the quality of those three wins that gets me. Yeah, and it's probably a, a game of semantics, right? Like, is it a good year? Is it a decent year? Is it a not bad year? Is it a, is it a you know, is it a successful year? Uh, you're, you're kind of... Uh, parsing a little bit. I think John Rahm will be, certainly be disappointed with his major championship performance. I, I, w I was the idiot who, at the beginning of 2022, said John Rahm is going to finish. That was my, one of my bold predictions. John Rahm is going to finish top five in all four major championships. I didn't even have a top ten in any of them. Uh, further proof uh, that I am a moron. That's certainly going to be a point of emphasis for John Rahm, which is why I always struggle with the conversation of if you don't win a major, can it be considered a great year? There's only four of them. There's certainly some luck involved, not just weather-related, but also how the rest of the field is playing. Uh, with the condensed nature of them now, four majors in four months, if you're just a little bit off uh, at a very inopportune time, uh, it, it's going to be very difficult against the best fields in golf uh, to pick off a major. So I, I certainly oh. think Rory had it. I think I think Rory had a great year. Rom Rom had a had a fine year, and I think he's poised for a monstrous yes. year. In 2023, I'd put it that way. Well, and if you're if, if the Tiger Woods, if that's the bar you're trying to live by, I mean, you're going to be wildly disappointed. It's a hard enough game being a professional golfer. I mean, there are enough negatives to, to slap you around and push you down into the mud on a day in and day out basis to even if you're Rory McIlroy to get to the end of the year and be like, ah, it's not a Tiger Woods year. Well, of course not, because, I mean, he was a generational player. So I don't I always felt it feels like that is a very, very slippery slope. And when we talk about player of the year, when we talking about world number one, you do want to have that major championship uh, attached to it. Like I remember when Lee Westwood was world number one and Luke Donald was world number one. And the pushback 
was always, oh, well, they haven't won a major championship. I think there is something to that conversation. But no, if, you, if you're Rory and you contended essentially in all four majors and had the season on top of that, I mean, I, I don't know how you could look at that in negative anyway. Rex, before we go, it is clearly a vacation week. You sent me a, a myriad Snapchats uh, on Tuesday. Hotel Monteleon, was that Mother's? Uh, where you said the turtle soup? Uh, it certainly looked like what is on the docket for the rest of the week, New Orleans style. Uh, we have one more day here in the French Quarter. Well, one more half day. And so tonight we'll go back uh, to the, on the other side of the lake to Metairie where the big extravaganza feast will be held tomorrow. We'll stay with some of her relatives. And then, like I said, it's, it's, it's not like if I laid the menu out, people would be – because I saw you recoil when I threw some of the things out. Like the oyster pie is absolutely delicious. There it is. That, that's the look that I saw before, the yuck face. I mean, I love, I love oysters. I just don't want it in a pie. It's not really – it's just what they call it anyway. So, and then you have you know, crawfish etouffee and you have oyster dressing and everything else that goes into it. Absolutely delicious. However, you can just get run over. By the time I get on the road on Friday morning, I'm going to drive as fast as I can to get back to Orlando because I, I can tell you this. <laughs> hey, let me ask something. And this is I'm, – I'm asking for a friend. How many Sazeracs or too many Sazeracs? Uh, you can't have more than two Sazeracs. They, they, yeah. are, they are delicious. They go down easy. Mm. Um, I mean, the taste on a Sazerac is absolutely outstanding. However, it really starts to hurt the liver uh, the next day. Like you can, you can feel a little bit of singeing uh, going on as it as it somehow metabolizes. I feel like uh, two's not enough, and three was too many for me. Like I, I feel like yeah. I fell into that trap. Yep. Yeah, that's exactly where I mm-hmm. don't know that my liver is singeing, but it certainly feels like everything else is singeing right now. Uh, shout out, bunkmate, who I'm sure uh, is feeling just fine. Uh, on this Wednesday morning, when Spry. we're doing this 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 recap, this is this is an away game Thanksgiving for me. This is like the absolute dude Super Bowl. Uh, I look forward to it each and every year. I currently have a turkey wet browning in the fridge. I'll air dry it overnight in order to try and get as crispy of a skin as possible before I throw it on the Weber Smoky Mountain. I use this thing about twice a year now. Uh, it used to be my home smoker. Uh, I've since moved it up here. Uh, to Ronald's. We'll run that bad boy as close as we can to 300 with some pecan smoke. And hopefully we have a delicious turkey. Of course, we're rejecting that thing with butter because turkey is the blandest meat of all. You need to do literally each and everything to try and make it uh, somewhat savory. So that's a sweet tea brine, uh, which should actually absolutely be delicious. Uh, two different rubs and a butter injection be sure to check out the podcast next week when rex is in the bahamas and i recap just how successful uh, my turkey was that's assuming rex even makes his flight uh after 48 more hours in the new orleans area but thank you guys for listening we are certainly thankful for you uh, here at the golf central podcast presented by callaway golf thanks to each and every one of you for listening we'll talk to you next week when the big cat is back in action happy thanksgiving